the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There has to come a point in all of our lives, individually as Christians, that we count the cost and say, you know, I'm going to go deeper in my relationship with Christ. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with Pastor Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. But as we saw last week, as the people came clean, what happened? When the people came clean, when they repented, when they burned those things that used to hold them in bondage, what happened? God was moving powerfully in their lives. You know, we look at the church today in America, it's a little bit of anemic. It's a little weak. What happened? We allowed a little sin to the church. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. And all of a sudden, you know, people aren't so ready to walk and stand on the mighty word of God. And they're not really totally willing to completely repent and turn from those things. So they kind of have one foot in the world and kind of one foot in Jesus. And they're just kind of going between both sides. And it's like, it's taken the power away from us. But in this day, all people were repenting. They're saying, God, I just want to be who you want me to be. And he was powerfully moving in their midst. Well, today, we will consider three points in light of our title, The Real Cost. Number one, only one God. There's only one God. Number two, filled with rage. And number three, it's just time to go home. Well, let's look at our first point. There's only one God. As we pick up where we left off last week, we'll pick up in verse 21. Now, after these things, after what things? Well, after the fact that the word of God was moving and God was moving mightily and prevailing in this whole region, okay? There was like a revival going down. He says, now, after these things were finished, Paul proposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And after he had passed through Macedonia, in Achaia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Eratus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way, meaning there was a massive uproar. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, or Diana, the goddess Diana, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Wow, sales have really gone down since the Apostle Paul's been here. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and he says, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul 
has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Oh, you go, Paul. Yeah. Verse 27. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Poor goddess Diana. We got to stick up for her. She could be dethroned here. How horrible. Yes, when God is blessing and people are getting saved, guess what? Somebody rises up. Satan will rise up and oppose. Christians say, I'm going to start living for Christ. I'm going to do what's right. Satan says, I'm going to rise up and oppose you. So guess what happens? Most Christians are like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> April fools. <laughs> you know, never mind. Yes, everyone like Paul. Now, if you're a sleeping Christian, though, and you don't really do anything anyway, and you're just basically doing nothing for the kingdom of God, then Satan will continue to rock your cradle. Oh, good night, and good night. And you're just all tuddled in your little banky, and you're just being a little seepy bearer because Satan just keeps you sleeping. But for those of us who count the cost, those who desire to live their life and they want it to count for something in this world, Satan will come knocking. And I can attest to you that this is true. And now we have a huge ruckus being spawned on by this silversmith named Demetrius, who made his living by making little silver idols for people to worship. He was watching, literally, his livelihood go up in smoke. He said, if everyone starts to follow this Jesus, who is going to be left to buy my little idols? I'm going out of business. In verse 27, he said, and the poor goddess Diana, poor girl, she's going to be dethroned. Who is this goddess Diana? She was the mythological Greek daughter of Jupiter and the twin sister of Apollo. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an impressive building supported by a hundred large columns. The local legend was, and backed up by what it says in verse 35, that her statue just fell from the sky. Bing, walla, bang, boom, there she is, and there's her statue. Well, guess what? According to verse 26, Paul says, bunk, I'm not buying it. For any God that's made with hands are no gods at all. And all that Demetrius could think about was himself. He didn't care about the people. He didn't care about anybody. He didn't care about their eternal destiny by following these false gods. He didn't care about their sin or anything else. All this man was concerned with was money. His money. And how much he was going to lose if the people didn't worship this false goddess, Diana. And if Diana, by the way, was a real god, why did she need Demetrius to defend her? Really? You can't defend yourself? You got to have the silversmith stand up for you? 
I think about what Gideon did. Remember Gideon, he was one of the judges in the book of Judges. He's in the sixth chapter. You know, he was all whining and moaning and groaning and griping to God. And, you know, where's God? You know, everyone says, you know, where's God? Everything, we're getting taken out by these Midianites. They're coming, taking all of our food. Where's this God that my forefathers were telling me about? He doesn't even exist. Well, we have a little pre-incarnate. Jesus arrives on the scene. Hey, Gideon, how's it going? Yeah, let me tell you. Get out the box of tissues here. This guy's moaning and groaning, griping and complaining. So Jesus basically tells him, hey, get over your little whining group here. Guess what? You want to see God deliver like he did in old times? Yeah, I want to see some of that Moses action. I want to see some of that split the Red Sea, drop the frogs on the people, something. Let me see some action here. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to send you. Ah. Uh, Wait a minute, that's not a good idea. See, so many of us, we can complain about what we don't see. How come the church isn't doing this? How come the church isn't doing it? Hey, you know, you guys, you know, need to do this, you need to do that. Well, why don't you do it? Why don't you get involved? Why don't you try to help make the church a little better place? And we have a couple hundred people that work here and serve here, you know, every Sunday morning that makes all this church work, all the faithful parking lot men out there just helping direct parking in our disaster parking lot. You know, we have ushers here. We have all the greeters, you know, have, you know, people working on the tables out there. We have all the children's ministry. We have all the video guys. We have all the sound guys, you know, sound guys, you know, the people who put the lyrics up. These are all different people. People run the video, this, that, you know, whatever, all the worship team up here. These are all volunteers. Everyone just volunteers. Why? Because they want to be part of this and see God move in people's lives. But people complained, and Gideon was one of those moaners and groaners. And Jesus said, well, look, you want to see God move? I'm going to send you. No, not a good idea. No, I'm sending you. Well, he finally talks him into it. It took a little while. So his first little test was, okay, Gideon, here's the deal. Your dad, Joash, yeah, he's got this big old altar for Baal set up in his backyard. I want you to go in there and tear down the false altar of Baal. Gideon's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Hmm. I don't know about that. So he waits in the middle of the night. It's probably two o'clock in the morning. Everyone's asleep. He's got to get a couple guys with him. He goes and tears the whole thing down, ravages it, goes postal on it, just tears it all down. Okay, so they wake up the next morning. All the men in the village are like, whoa, where'd the altar of Baal go? Oh, that's it. Who did this? Well, somebody ratted out Gideon. It was Gideon. Joash's son tore the whole thing down, shredded it. Oh, my goodness. So all the men got together, went over to Joash's house, that's Gideon's dad, and said, we want your son. We want to hogtie him. We're going to roast him. We're going to fry him. We're going to kill him. We want him gone. Now, something happened with Joash. Now, it has the appearance that Joash had a relationship with the living God, that he followed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But somewhere along the line, he got sidetracked. Somewhere along the line, he got put aside. Something happened to him. But by this act, by his son going in and saying, this stinking Baal is not a God, I'm shredding him down. It reinvigorated his faith. Now, Joash stands up to these guys that are all ready to kill his son. And he says this in Judges 6.31. He says, will you contend for Baal? Or will you deliver him? If he is a God, let him contend for himself because someone has torn down his altar. If he's a God, he could be a big enough boy. Let him defend it himself. Wow. See, Paul was right. No statue is a God. There is only one God, and he is the creator of all things. Consider what God had to say about 
any other so-called God that was formed and chiseled by a man. He says in Psalm 115 verse 4, he says, Idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They, they, They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. But they have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Pretty much sums it up. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 10.3. He says, the customs of people are a delusion because it's wood cut from the forest. The work of the hand of a craftsman with a cutting tool. And they decorate it with silver and gold. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. You're worshiping this thing. You drive down La Cienega here and you get down a couple blocks down there and there's some, you know, India, whatever, store thing, whatever, and they got their little god out there with like eight arms, you know, whatever, whatever, like an octopus, half octopus, half female, half man, whatever the thing is, you know. And it's like, God says, like, I don't care how many hands you put on your god. Put 20 hands on your god. They still can reach out and help you. Doesn't matter how many hands you got. Yes, men will create their own gods to soothe their own conscience, but there is only one God, and we will all stand before him in the end. It's appointed for each man and each woman to die once, and after this comes judgment. Yes, God desires to do in our life something great. But nonetheless, Demetrius, he stirred up the people, which brings up our second point, filled with rage. Let's see what happens here next. Verse 28. And when they heard this, and they were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and and, uh, Artisicus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him because, they, they, man, they're going to shred you to pieces right now. Also, some of the uh, Asterics, uh who were friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So then some were shouting one thing and another, some were shouting another, for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose among all as they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. Oh, great. That's got to listen to that for two hours long. Come on, people, you need to get a life. But that's what they did. They shouted. Now notice in verse 29 and verse 32, they were all in confusion. Meaning they were all in a state of total disorder and disarray. And guess who was at the bottom of the confusion? He's the one who likes to stir up confusion everywhere he goes. He's the father of lies. It's the devil himself. And what was the fruit of their confusion? Verse 32 said, the majority didn't even know why they came together. But Satan's goal was accomplished. He doesn't care. Because all ministry had to come to a stop to deal with this out-of-control riot. 
as verse 34 says, the people screamed for two hours, shouting, Great is Diana! And in verse 29, two of Paul's companions are in the middle of this volatile and angry crowd. But let me ask you, because it's so easy to get stirred up in anger. Are you an angry person? Do you fly off the handle? Hey, it's not my fault. If I wasn't working with a bunch of idiots, I wouldn't get so mad. Do you have a problem with anger? Well, let me tell you, you need to work on that. Well, I've always been this way. Well, who cares? So what? You need to work on your anger. You need to take this area of your life and say, I need to work on this anger. So if your spouse is you know, getting you riled up and you're starting to get that, I'm getting hot inside my neck. You just feel it going up your spine and it's on your neck. Your hair starting to stand up. Go take the dog for a walk. You say, well, I don't have a dog. Well, take a, a leash for a walk. Just get out of the house. You don't need the dog. Just you leave the house. The Bible tells us, in Proverbs fourteen twenty nine, he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly or foolishness. And in Proverbs fifteen eighteen, it says, a hot-tempered man or a woman stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. It's like, you know, you're either going to throw gas on it on a fire, or you're going to throw water on a fire. Which one are you doing? You know, the Bible goes on to tell us in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So it's like, if you've got a problem with anger, nothing's ever good going to come out of that. It's a tool of the enemy. Satan will use it and you'll say things and do things in the midst of that argument and that anger that you will regret later. Which brings up our third and final point. It's just time to go home, which it's almost time to go home here too. (laughs) But let's read about it here in verse 35. Now, after quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis or Diana and of the image which fell down from heaven? Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay, so since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and to do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples or blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. He's saying, hey, look, we're a civilized society. We're not going to hang these guys in the middle of the street here. But if you want anything beyond it, it should be settled lawfully in an assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is real, there's no real cause for it. And in connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. See, half the people there didn't even know why they were there anyway. Oh, man, ah, great is Diana. What are we here for? I don't know. You know, lunch got over easy, so we just came over, you know. Well, so here we have the politician. He's the county clerk. He plays his safe. He's an elected official. So he does the politically correct thing here as he tells everyone just to go home. 
But isn't it amazing, though, when we rise up to do what's right? The enemy will always step in and he'll cause confusion. You know, our church is here. It's growing, all of these things. Now we have all these neighborhoods back here that are accusing us of taking all their parking places. So they're all saying, you know, we have a major parking problem in this entire neighborhood here, and it's all core church's problem. And I'm just like, really? So the council member called me. I'm talking to the council member, and it's like all the problems in all of the west side of Los Angeles is core church, you know? And I'm just like, really? I go, well, okay, first of all, I said, you know, most of the people in these neighborhoods behind me, they're all sleeping in on Sunday. So a lot of people are not even moving anyway. And it's like, so it's like, we're not taking all these parking places back here. You know, we fill up our parking lot. We park on both sides of La Cienega, which we can do on Sunday. We close down the third lane and it's, you can do that in La Cienega. It's according to all the city signs here and everything. It's only three lanes during rush hour and not on Sundays. And we have full use of the parking garage at Kaiser Hospital. So I said, now I'm not saying that there's not a couple people that might park in the neighborhood there or whatever, but it's got to be minimal. Okay, that's on Sunday. Monday... We're closed. (laughs) No one's here. Okay, so it's like we are not the problem in the whole neighborhood here. How about the fact that you've got a gazillion apartments right here with maybe some multiple families living there? You've got more cars than yours parking spots. Have you ever thought about that, you know? So anyway, pray for me. You know, I have to go to a council meeting. So pray that God will let me get up there and just be loving and kind and sweet. And (laughs) Praise Jesus. Thank you for inviting me to your meeting. Yes, I can't tell you how many times, though, I've been sharing with someone, and right in the midst of them considering to give their heart to Christ, bam, their cell phone goes off. Huh? What? Oh, my friend from Peru, he hasn't called me in five years. I'll talk to you later. What? Or I'm sitting there talking to someone, and some guy will walk by, hey, didn't I go to high school with you? Oh, yeah, I haven't seen you in 10 years. They start talking, thinking, like, what is going on here? We're talking here, this guy's getting ready to make a decision for Christ. His, his eternity is in the balance right now. See, I wonder if there's anything in the world that's distracting you. Distracting you from going deeper in your relationship with God. Know this, I can't walk out your faith for you. I can't walk it out for you. You're going to have to walk out your own faith as I am walking out my own faith. At some point, we have to say, I'm done doing this halfway. I'm tired of taking one step forward and two steps backwards. There has to come a point in all of our lives, individually as Christians, that we count the cost and say, you know, I'm going to go deeper in my relationship with Christ. Are you willing to count the real cost of following Jesus To die to the passions that have ruled over us and have left us so empty? See, we all are created with a God-shaped void in our heart. And only God can fill it. God wants to do something inside of our lives individually. But don't make any mistake about this. He also wants us to have a huge impact on this culture that we live in. It's not just about us. It's about us and what we can do in this culture that we live in. The Apostle Paul went all through Asia here. He went all through it. And like what the silversmith, you know, Demetrius said, this guy is causing everyone to believe in Jesus. Could you imagine what would happen? If we here in Los Angeles, core church, if we got together and banded and said, man, we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to speak about Jesus, we're going to rise up and be the church that he's called us to be.
What could happen in Los Angeles, the second largest city in all of the United States and the number one city in the entire planet of all humanity that sets culture for known society? It's Los Angeles, Hollywood. And it's like, could you imagine what could happen if we rose up, if we counted the cost? See, there is a cost that we all have to pay when we come to Christ. Here's the cost. It's going to cost you your shame. Why? Because Jesus is going to take it from you. It's going to cost you your guilt. Why? Because he's going to cost, he's going to take it from you. It's going to cost you all of your sin because he's going to forgive all your sin. It's going to cost you your emptiness. It's going to cost you your loneliness. There's a cost in following Jesus. It's going to cost you of all your misery. But there's another cost. And there's that cost of saying, God, I'm going to deny the things that are pulling me away from you so that I can be everything that you've called me to be. Amen? Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 